John Rappaport sitting in for James Corbett on the Corbett Report. We have a guest tonight, film director Sean Stone will be with us right after the break. I want to do a brief segment first on a story I've been covering here for the last couple of weeks, and that is the smoking gun at the FDA. As I've been reporting on nomorefakenews.com for a number of years now, the pharmaceutical medical complex in America kills 100,000 people at a minimum every year with its pharmaceutical drugs, FDA-approved pharmaceutical drugs. And this was kicked off, so to speak, by a report in the Journal of American Medical Association in the year 2000, July 26th, a review published by Dr. Barbara Starfield of the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health called Is U.S. Health Really the Best in the World, in which she stated that the U.S. medical system kills 225,000 people a year, 106,000 from FDA-approved pharmaceuticals, and 119,000 from what goes on in U.S. hospitals. And I have maintained all along that the FDA is quite aware of these figures and that the U.S. government has done absolutely nothing about it. Nobody has been censured, nobody's been fired, nobody's been prosecuted. And when I interviewed Dr. Starfield shortly before she passed away, she acknowledged that indeed the government had never contacted her about her study and that they had done nothing to fix this holocaust so two weeks ago I got a tip and discovered a page on the FDA's own website which you can find if it's still up by googling FDA why learn about adverse drug reactions and on that page they cite 100,000 deaths medications every year and two million serious adverse reactions and when they say serious they don't mean headache dizziness they mean stroke heart attack neurological damage etc etc so you begin adding up all these figures and indeed you do get a holocaust a pharmaceutical medical holocaust 2.25 million people killed every decade over one million every decade killed as a result of pharmaceutical drugs. And now on the FDA's own website, we have an admission of these uh, facts as regards the pharmaceuticals. However, what we don't have, schizophrenically speaking, on the FDA's website, is an admission that they are, in fact, the agency that must declare every medical drug to be safe before it's released to the public. So they are admitting the crime without admitting the crime. And this story has gotten now wide play on the Internet, a number of websites, a number of interviews that I've done. Websites have picked it up. But still, people don't seem to understand that the devastation from Obamacare, if it is okayed by the Supreme Court in June, will simply mean that more and more people will be dragged into this system, millions more, and therefore more will die. That is the horrendous bottom line that almost nobody is talking about.
So that's what we have here. The story has not spread to mainstream media predictably because, of course, they are part of the same matrix as the pharmaceutical medical cartel. Not only do they profit from pharmaceutical advertising, not only is it essential to their survival, but they are sold out to the hilt. They are part of the system. We're going to take a break now. We'll be back after the break with Director Sean Stone. Don't go anywhere. This is John Rappaport sitting in for James Corbett. John Rappaport back after the break sitting in for James Corbett. Sean Stone is a film director, producer, screenwriter, and actor and also a very acute and penetrating researcher of global elites and of secret societies. And we want to talk about global geostrategies of the moment here. Welcome to the show, Sean. Nice to have you with us. Thank you, John. Um, uh, how are you tonight? I'm very good. And you? Yeah, it's very good. Thank you. Nice to be on. Good. So here's the opening salvo. So much is happening, breaking around us in the Middle East, and has been for some time. And I'm certainly interested in knowing, and I know our listeners are as well, what do you see is the overall agenda here in all of this turmoil in the Middle East? And whose agenda is it really? What is your view on all of this? Big, big question. <laughs> yeah, big question. Um, okay, I mean, look. To start with, you have to think back to the 19th century and to what we know of the Illuminati agenda for Albert Pike and Mazzini, right? Two of the heads of the Illuminati in the 1870s, 80s time period, right? Uh, in terms of their correspondence, there was, uh, there were, uh, they were basically, they were preparing an outline for three world wars. And the first two world wars we've lived to, including the destruction of the, the Russian Empire, the, uh, the creation of the Israeli state, all these things were alluded to at that time. And then the war was supposed to be around, around the Middle East region as being the, the match in a sense be lit, but the overall target, according to them, was to actually destroy both atheists and Christians, and to create this sort of Luciferian uh, religion, world religion. That's, uh, that was at least the stated objective. What do you have in the Middle East? You have British imperialist policies, because the British, if you, if you really want to understand the Middle East, you have to understand the British run the game of the world when it comes to strategy, when it comes to long-term plan, it's the British Empire. Now, there's obviously, like, we talk about the Illuminati, because the Illuminati are, like, our bloodline, and those who are brought in to work with, you know, with these families, and their center of power, you know, the last few hundred years has been London. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not limited to London. Obviously, there's, there is branches in power over the world, and there's, you know, there's various factions within it. But fundamentally, the head is still in London, and that's why, you know, Henry Kissinger, when he talked in 1980 at Chatham House, he referred to the fact that his his State Department's policy was all dictated from London. You know, he openly admitted this. And this is Kissinger, who was an agent of the Rockefeller 
subject, my thesis, William Yandel Elliott. Elliott was a Rhodes Scholar who was trained in the imperialist doctrine of, of expanding the empire. See, the point of the British Empire was, how do you save face as an empire in the coming world of the 20th century? That was the issue that they were addressing uh, when they started this New World Order doctrine, which is masking. Basically, how do you, do you mask the empire? You don't have to finance your troops all over the world and pay for expensive wars. You don't have to... Um, uh, I you, you don't have to like be the, uh, the 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 bad guys in a sense. You use uh, proxies, you use surrogates, you have a financial system that uh, that originates from, like, for example, the IMF World Bank that uh, operates uh, mainly through American and British American influence. The American the Americans had to be brought into the empire. That was these were all things that were discussed, and, uh, and you know they were pretty much implemented by the end of World War II after Franklin Roosevelt was killed. So. The Middle East is a situation that was created, designed by the British and French at the time of the First World War. They redrew the map. They created the Israeli state, uh, theoretically at that time, although they couldn't implement it until after the first, after the Second World War. But they drew the maps of this region and they allocated certain heads on the thrones. So you have the Saudis, for example, are, are, are the, what, the King Faisal family, and then the cousin of the, you know, was sent to Jordan, and then, you know, they, you know, they split the family up around the region, right? Um, but uh, the point is that they, they basically created the condition now where you have what seems to be the clash of civilization between what they say is like the Islamic world and, you know, Judeo-Christianity. The fiction. Truthfully, you have what could be called like the, the, Shia, the Shia world, which is uh, Iran and Hezbollah in Lebanon. Uh, and uh, parts of Syria, and also a strong influence in Iraq, like the Medi army and whatnot. And the Shia tradition is very much opposed to the Sunni Wahhab tradition, which is Taliban, Al-Qaeda, the Saudi-sponsored the Saudi terrorists that have been slaughtering people, both of Shia denominations and Western denominations, right? And so, in fact, uh, the Shia are a bit more, you know, they're not entirely free of Illuminati control, but um, they have been more free than, let's say, like the Saudi regime and other others of these kingdoms who are really under uh, this this hierarchy that we're speaking of. They're really in, they're actually created by the British Empire and set there in their position of power, um, you know, as perpetuators of violence, you know, as a, as a as a religion, as a philosophy, um, you know, basically come submit to Islam or die. That's that's the Saudi slogan, for example. That's not the, the feeling of the Shia in Iran, but this is something that has to be understood in terms of what's going on in the region. There's, they're basically perpetuating sectarian violence, but they hope that this is the, imperial, the, the British imperial Illuminati policy would be to, to perpetuate this factionalism and in, in evident, for example, in Syria where they're blowing it up and they're using mujahideen from all over, the, all over the, the region to come there and to just overthrow the sovereign state. Uh, it, you know, it's gonna basically, that, will, that will spread to Lebanon. That will destabilize Iran. So they were trying to basically implement a World War III using the sectarian violence within this region and the, the states they've created. But really, the bigger target is the planet. It's Russia, China. It's reorganizing the global order at a time when the monetary empire is dead, bankrupt. Europe is one evidence, one, one glimpse of it. But you're basically dealing with a 100-year-old man who's on life support 
and pretending we were talking about it like it's live. But no, there's no future with this economy. There's no future with this monetary system. So the real issue is how they're going to disintegrate it, and which they've been working on studies since the 70s, you know, in terms of how to control the disintegration. And warfare and violence and depopulation are definitely methods by which you can continue to profit and control the disintegration. That's the situation just as in an overall analysis. Now, how, you know, beyond that, we have a lot of other factions and players and whatnot. But uh, let's start with that. Yes, let's let's start with that. So, from what you're saying, it sounds to me as though this is what we're seeing now is an intermediate step, and what would come out of this after using these proxies would be some kind of a uh, Herculean shift, because earlier on you mentioned eventually a Luciferian religion. Now, this would not be, uh, at least to the British imperialist way of thinking, Islam. This would be something way beyond that. So how does what's happening now in the Middle East and the sort of, quote, rise of Islam morph into this Luciferian kind of religious control? How do those, How are those steps taken? Well, remember, because we're talking about functions of Islam that are not Islamic. We're talking about this, this, this concept of, of, of murder, for example, um, terror. You know, I always remind people, what is, what is, you know, the progenitor of a lot of this Islamic violence came, comes out of Algeria, right, during the, the resistance to the colonial state in France, the French, the French control of Algeria, right? There's the Battle of Algiers. Um, but fundamentally, there's the French phenomenon philosophy, which is, you know, liberation through the barrel of a gun, right? Blow your oppressor away. That's, uh, that, that inspires a lot of the, 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 the radical violence of, you know, of modern Islam. But Franz Fanon is a, is a French educated, uh, man. He, you know, he, he trained through the, through the, through the French school, largely like the Sorbonne influence, for example, and also Sartre in particular, existentialist philosophy. Right? So, you, you're dealing with, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's very difficult because the British have played games using Tavistock Institute, using um, the, the Frankfurt School to a certain extent, using the Sorbonne, and they they, they implement them doctrines and they in papers. So I mean, the most clear evidence is uh, Bernard Lewis's you know uh, Arc of Crisis thesis back in seventy seven seventy eight that he adopts with Brzezinski and Sam Huntington of Harvard, and that. That is then saying that we have to create an arc of crisis in the Middle East on the underbelly of Russia, and by radicalizing, by supporting radical Islam, we can destabilize the Russian sovereignty, the Soviet sovereignty, and that's what happened. Obviously, over the course of the next dozen years, you had the the, the, the Afghani war, where they brought all these, you know, they radicalized all these different Muslims from across the region, brought them in, and put them put them into effect into the actual became Al Qaeda because that was a database of Mujahideen fighters that they that they were training, CIA, ISI, Danis, the, 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 the British Intel, the Saudi financing. That was the network that they created, Mujahideen, who then, you know, they also grew up Lebanon at the same time, and uh, but then the point was these Mujahideen were deployed all over the world in the 90s. They were deployed to Bosnia, they were deployed to Somalia, they were deployed to Sudan, they were deployed, deployed to um, Algeria, Tunisia, right? 
and Croatia. And, uh, Croatia. And so the point is that they're then, they're then involved working side by side with, with CIA and British intelligence, blowing things up. Hold so, it right there because we've got to take a yeah. break, Sean. We'll continue yeah. with Sean Stone. What is the global geo strategy? What is the plan? What is the end game? John Rappaport sitting in for James. We'll be back after the break. Every move it makes, another chance it takes. Odds are he want to live to see tomorrow. Back after the break, this is John Rappaport sitting in for James Corbett tonight, speaking with Sean Stone, film director, producer, screenwriter, actor, researcher of global elites, and we're talking about the plan, the end game, World War III, what is happening in the Middle East. So, Sean, do you see at some point that according to this overall scheme, the Illuminati, the elites, will say, okay, we've had enough of this radical Islamic violence here on the part of our proxies in the Middle East, and now it's time for massive troops, our troops, to move in and simply take over these countries? How does that no. play out? No, no, no. Because here's the thing. It's not that there's too much Islamic violence. I mean, think about it. How much violence is perpetuated by the empire? I mean, we've killed probably closer to a million Iraqis you know, and Afghanis in the last few years compared to what, even if you look at the worst crime that they say is perpetuated by Islam, which was, I don't even believe that it was Muslims that were really responsible for 9-11. I do think the Saudi operative you know, may or may not have been there, frankly, because that's even questionable. But um, even if you say that's, you know, Islamic terrorism, it is worse. It's 6,000 people compared to how many, you know, how many have been we've killed in retaliation. How many orders, you know, thousands of times over, right? So the, the issue is not, is not a question of we're tired of violence. No, these people profit off violence. They, you know, they're, these people are satanic. They're Luciferian, you know, satanic because they, their, their interest is not to create peace. Their interest is not for man to recognize that we're all made in the image of God, that we're all brothers and sisters, and that we have a common aim of development and prosperity for our future. They want people to, to literally sacrifice their youth. They want, you know, they want us to focus on, on, on our greed and our, and our sexual instincts and our, um, basically, you know, uh, uh, on an agenda that does not promote a future orientation. Partly, I think, because there's, um, there's a book of Revelation kind of prophecy that, that's pulling at this whole thing. You know, there is, but there's a power 2012 that no matter where you go in the world, you, you see there's a, that we're coming to the end of the cycle. You know, and whether or not you feel it and you felt it in your own life, which I have, but even if you just look at the prophecy beyond the Mayan prophecy, in, uh, in Islam and Judaism both, they await the same Messiah, or maybe king of kings, who is meant to return now with an army of light. And, you know, there's consistent uh, reference to the notion that light is transformative, that it transforms consciousness, that, you know, mankind is basically facing the rapture, and, you know, in the, in the Christian tradition, it's the rapture. Also, the Muslims believe Christ is returning. He's uh, Jesus, you know, and um, you know he's coming with Mehdi. So, you know, no matter where you look, there's a there's a feeling that we are awaiting some kind of transformative personality, and, and, and it's, a, it's a transformative time period as a whole, where 
we are planetarily even. You know, if you look at where we are in the Black Plain, we're at, a, at a, one of those unique points at the end of the age, the end of age of Pisces entering into Aquarius. On terms of the um, the horizon of the of the, the galactic plane, we're at a position that historically that you only reach every few every sixty two million years, I believe. There's a, there's a it's not a sixty two million or one of you know many million of year cycles. That uh, last time we reached such a point on the galactic plane, there was mass extinction that took place. So you know the, the feeling from the you know, point of view of knowledge is that we're going to have to face change, and it can be catastrophic and going to be damaging anyway. But these people also want to, they want to provoke it. You know, they're basically saying, you know, we're going to use this opportunity to destroy and kill you. And if, we, if you survive, we're going to enslave you. Whereas the attitude of those who believe in the Christ, who believe in the Christ consciousness and the, and the consciousness of light and love, and which is knowledge and awakening, is that we're going through the veils so and we can become more conscious human beings. We can strip away this facade. The system as, as a whole is, is nothing. It's it truly is the Wizard of Oz. There's a little old man behind a curtain who runs things, and he's, they're so weak and, power, and powerless. These Illuminati, these are, you know, self-proclaimed Illuminati, they're so weak and powerless. They need, they need money and army and 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 uh, and, and blood money essentially to uh, to control you, to manipulate you. They need illusion. They, they need rappers and, and, and entertainers to distract you from from what is what is your relationship to the universe. What is your relationship to God? What is your relationship to faith? These are all the questions that people have to ask themselves now because there's no reason that we have to go on in a system that's this corrupt, this degrading and demoralizing. I mean, we talk about human rights, right? In the society, we say, well, we're so free. We have the human right to be treated as prostitutes. We have the human rights. We can't even feed ourselves. There's no right. We have human rights. We're not even guaranteed fresh water and food, right? We don't, we don't have the human rights of having a future in front of our children. Or just us as young people feeling like we have we have some kind of future we want to build we want to create we want to build cities we want to we want to dream and have architecture and music but there's no human we don't have the human right guaranteed for us of this we have the human right that we can basically you know whore ourselves and be treated like dirt and 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 as slaves that's the human right they're talking about so it's all double thing you see and that's that's why you know when we the mission that you know that we're facing is just to try to wake people up. But this is the moment, and if you know, if you can open your eyes and see, there's really nothing holding their power except your faith in them, your belief that they that, that you know the president is, is powerful. For example, well, if he's so powerful, why doesn't he enact Glass Steagall and re- reinstate the, the firewall between depositors' money and uh, you know investment banks uh, um, derivative swindles? Right? Why doesn't the president? Why is the president you know ordering martial law techniques through NDAA? And you know through executive orders that allow these any property. And, you know, like what is you know what is the system that we? Why do we even vote for it? If it's this corrupt, and these, these people are this disengaged in our lives, why do we even? Why do we support it? Hold it right there. Another break. I'm speaking with Sean Stone, John Rappaport here, sitting in for James Corbett. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Back from the break, this is John Rappaport sitting in for James Corbett, talking with Sean Stone. Okay, Sean, so... 
you're leading us to a place that I'm very interested in here. And what I want to have you give us here, on the basis of each individual in this time of crisis, what is the role of the individual in terms of understanding, well, not only understanding what's going on, but to go beyond that to a larger scope and sphere of consciousness so that what the Illuminati are planning does not come to pass or does not permanently put a stranglehold on the planet. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could say you could, you could get on your knees and pray every day as a star. I mean, not even get on your knees, just feel, the feeling of prayer, first of all, is very empowering. It activates your right brain, which we know is the far more spiritual, intuitive uh, side to dimensions that, you know, we're not even aware of, let's say. We, we, we know certain things about the multidimensional universe, but I think it's a continuous exploration. I, the more you, you re- realize that the, that the journey is spiritual, it's personal. No one can tell you what this journey means except for you, but only through reflection, only through meditation, prayer, through awakening, opening your eyes, looking at synchronicities, noticing that life gives you everything that you need, right? That's, that's all spiritual teachers have always been, teach, have been teaching us, is that, like, you know, God provides, as they put it, right? The universe gives you what you need. Whether or not you want it, whether or not you appreciate it, it does. And the sooner you learn the lesson, the sooner you'll be able to move on. And so whatever comes now, whether it's, you know, whether it's catastrophic or, or blissful, it's going to be a question of how you, as an individual, experience it, embrace it, and learn, uh, learn from it, essentially what you're willing to, because it's only going to go as deep for you as you're willing to go. So rather than looking at, you know, the point is, this, this system is coming apart. Stop looking for, for you know, uh, celebrities to base yourself on and, you know, guys who made money as your role models. And, you know, recognize that you are yourself as, mo- as glorious, as integral to this whole process as any one of them. No matter how bright their light may be, you know, it's simple, think of it like as a star that you can then uh, model yourself upon to find the star within you. That each one of us is shining, you know, is shining the, as you know, as God's child, as God's creation. So the sooner we recognize that, the sooner you know we'll have, I think, a more positive experience on this planet. We'll be able to de- deal with each other with respect. We'll be able to, you know, uh, transcend what's become a very you know gluttonous, greedy, sinful. Reality, essentially, the system is based on sin. It's a satanic empire. If anyone doesn't believe that, you know, walk down the street and notice how many, you know, how, how many people are, are living a life of poverty, of, of despair. You know, how many people are profiting based on their greed, based on you know, without being moral people. How few of the the top level, you know, whether it's your boss or or, or just people in you know of the hierarchy in general, how few of them are really spiritually progressive, morally progressive stand up that you can actually look at them and say that's that's a man, you know, that's a woman, that's a model of, of good citizenship, you know, how few of those people we see. So but the point is it was within each of us to make that decision. Are we going to transform or not? And if you know if you're not willing to do it, you're gonna face the consequence. Well said. I think we have a caller on the line. Is Richard still here with us? If so, if you have a question for Sean Please jump right in. 
Yeah, I enjoy uh, his conclusions and his way to get there. But using uh, Hockham's razor, I'd like to uh, present a more, uh, what, simplistic explanation of, of what's coming, if you want to entertain that. Okay, just do it briefly, and then Sean will comment on it. Sure, briefly. Uh, we're a worldwide uh, corporatocracy, and, and basically Russia, America, or the United States of America, uh, China, uh, Syria, whoever, they're just divisions of that uh, corporatocracy. And the United States, in specific, was was uh, bankrupted in 1933, and the corporation was dissolved. And when you dissolve the corporation, all the entities are dissolved. So there's no more president, Congress, uh, senators, judges, uh, whatever. Uh, these are all our, our little matrix that we get security from. And if you dissolve those, basically it's all one uh, operation that's it's monitored and controlled by a board of directors. Though we don't see those, those are ruled by the, the United Nations uh, Council, and they control the whole operation. And basically, the way I look at it, this is just one business model for profit for the corporate structure, and we're just kind of like the, the sheeple in the corporate structure, and uh, we're being controlled and, and uh, what brainwashed and, and miseducated and caught in the matrix. And if you look at it from that perspective, everything kind of makes sense, and uh, much of what happens is just... Uh, uh, rearranging of the corporate structuring, and, and uh, that's what corporations do. Thanks, Richard. Sean, your comments on that? No, I, I don't. I mean, look, I don't think that he's entirely off in, the, in his analysis of it. But the point is, yeah, that's you know that's the situation, and yet we still have historical principles to draw upon. You know, you say we, you know uh, U.S. has become a corporation, right? We're being poisoned. But the point is, why don't we draw upon the Constitution and the principles of upon which the Republic was based, and as citizens, act upon that principle? Because if enough people demand it, you actually might start to see, the, you know, more, how do you say, more of the, uh, the oligarchy revealing themselves, whether it be through lawsuit, through, through civil lawsuit, whether it be through, through civil action. There's, there's many ways that it will come about, because, as I said, the, mon the monetary system is collapsing, and that's the indication they cannot survive this you know this phase they're going to have to reshape the new world order into you know in different forms and whether it involves you know bringing russian and chinese boots on the ground for example to uh, try to enforce it you know this is like this is how extreme it can get but the point is the american people there's still a fundamental concept of being american that you can't take away you can't strip it away no matter what the corporate structure may look like so i'm more optimistic upon the idea of of, of principles and i think Principles require a certain spiritual orientation, which, in my you know my perspective, it's it's having faith in God and having a faith that there is a, a purpose and a destiny to all of this. Um, and it's not just you know saying wide-eyed, you know, God can take care of everything, but realizing as you know as instruments of God, let us let us try to recreate the republic that we were supposed to be given in the first place. And as citizens, we should be conscious, we should be we should be aware, we should be informing our fellow citizens, and doing our best to get back to the republic and you know i can't predict the future any more than the next man especially at this time when it's so i mean it's it's so uh, chaotic in a sense but if we're not awake and we're not at least fighting against it then we really have no chance whatsoever okay let me follow this with another question which i was thinking of earlier <clears throat> to what degree do you think that this oligarchy this illuminati are aware that there are people in the world who are waking up to what they're doing. 
Is that on their radar at all? Are they capable of seeing that? And if so, what what are they thinking about that? Yeah, I mean they're completely awake because again, I'm I'm, I'm going I'm telling you it was written as such. Like the, how do you say <laughs> the prophecies? They they they're not perfect. I don't believe in in prophecy as being perfect. And in fact, you talk to, I talked to like, you know, Jin Gears, people who deal with the, the unseen realm, and they're not, you know, they're not part of the Illuminati, they're just, they, they study it, they interact with being. And I, you know, I can tell you three different points of view about it. One is that chaos and destruction are coming, and city by city, you're going to have a Sodom and Gomorrah effect across the world, and it's going to escalate to the point of nuclear war, in which case there'll be a, a, a spiritual rapture, and we'll enter a different dimension. I've had some people say that no, there's the Medi and the, the Messiah are going to come and they're going to stop war and there'll be there'll be peace and they'll reign in an era of peace. And then my my personal point is that point of view is that it's up to us as humans to determine what what becomes of it. If we don't wake up, if we don't enough of us don't inter- just become conscious and more conscious in our decisions and our actions and the recognition of consequence in our lives, then. Yes, there probably will be a very heinous future. But if enough of us wake up, and if God so chooses, you know, we can avert that destruction. We can avert that, that the, the, the inevitable apocalyptic conclusion, let's say, right? So the Illuminati, of course, know that people are waking up. They, of course, know that this is the end of the age, and the age of Aquarius is all about spreading of knowledge and consciousness, um, getting out of these materialistic traps potentially entering uh, new dimensions of reality as, as the jinn or the unseen realm reveals itself more and more. I mean, that's why, you know, even the last few years, there's a reason I'm doing a film about the Greystone, for example, which is a mental ho- which is an abandoned mental hospital full of, uh, you know, ghosts and jinns and demons and uh, paranormal activity in you know, the last few years. And all these films about demons have picked up in influence just the last three years. There's a reason for it, because the mind now is, is ready and open to these other dimensions of reality and when we'll, we'll start talking about it. Right, the global network of communication is breaking down the boundaries of, of of ignorance. Right, no matter where you are in the world now, thanks to internet, you can at least be informed and plugged in. But why do we still choose to plug into CNN and Fox News when we know he's for liars? Why do we even pay attention to that? Why don't we just stick to the alternative media for information and the sources that we at least trust to a greater extent than you would a corporate, you know? Uh, shell that is designed to lie to you and poison your mind, you know? So it's like, as humans, we have to follow our intuition about these things. We have to recognize, as your caller said, that we're we're dealing with a conspiracy. You know, it's a, it's a very simple game that they set up. Um, and so the, the quicker we can at least understand that, the quicker we can start to act from the point of view of principle and, and, and you know, honorably in a sense towards each other. So you know, the Illuminati are aware of it. They're, they're trying their best to continue to manipulate and mind control you, and they want to keep you as slaves. But I have more faith in humanity because, you know, we, we have communication techniques that are far beyond what they were even, you know, 10 years ago. So we can spread the word. We can, we can, we can uh, feed off of each other and uh, hopefully, you know, do it for, the, for a positive purpose, which is ultimately we need development. We need, we need credit-based systems of economics. We need our government to issue credit again as opposed to debt, you know, as money. We need to have a vision of a future 100 years from now where we're, you know, pursuing missions to Mars rather than uh, killing each other over oil, which is completely outdated as a form of energy anyway. You know, this is like, 
this is the basis by which we have to live, is, 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 is a future-oriented basis, not a past uh, monetary uh, mentality. Yes. Now, one thing that I'm seeing, and I'd like you to comment on this, is in this waking up process, and I've been watching this uh, maybe the last 20 years, it seems like more people are beginning to understand that decentralization of power in many different ways is a key. Not only in terms of political power, removing so much power from central authority, but of course, as we've seen with the Internet and media, decentralization and so on, but that in all forms of life, financial, economic, political, social, and so on, that more people are beginning to see that the way out may indeed have a lot to do with our ability as humans to decentralize power along many fronts. Mm-hmm. What do so, you think of that? Of course, and that's why it's such an age of responsibility, and that's why you know people have the only reason that people are slow to embrace this mentality is because when I, if we tell them that each of you is responsible for this world, that they create tremendous amount of fear, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's one, it's easier to blame the president, blame Congress, to blame the corporation, to blame the top, you know, because sure, they're culpable. But if you were given that same power, would you act differently? And this is always the point that I publish to people, you're not going to have revolution until you're ready for the spiritual awakening, which is to say, will you operate from principle, from, from principle, from a feeling of love towards your fellow man? And that's what, you know, why Christ was so important, because he was operating politically at the same time as spiritual, but it's also political, what he's doing, right? Uh, he's organizing people. He's giving them he's giving them principles to live by. Muhammad the same way. He's giving them a, a spiritual foundation upon which to build their society. And you can't, and the same is going to go for now. If you simply think, as, you, as we've historically seen, revolution's going to work where, you know, people take control and you end up with a proletariat revolution, you end up with Soviet Russia and gulags, or you end up with, uh, you know, Maoist China. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. And only when people are principled, which is why our founding fathers were so great, you know, they established a republic with a constitution, and they had the wisdom and foresight to give us a republic whereby the people are empowered to vote, but it's not just power to the people. There has to be Republican institutions that safeguard it, and statesmen who are educated. So, you know, in you know, in one sense, I don't believe it's going to be absolute decentralization, and every man is going to be a, a king. But I do think that we have to embrace our, each of our roles and our identities as responsible beings with creative powers who are engaged in our society again, who you know, who want to value ourselves and value our futures and have a clean environment, clean water, you know, to drink from clean air, you know, to feed upon clean energy that's sustainable for the generations to come, and a future orientation of, of development and expansion as far as the other planets in the solar system, you know, terraforming other planets. That's a tremendous vision for mankind. But you have to give people vision first before you can expect them to simply embrace the responsibility of what's coming. Yes, it certainly seems to me that when you knock out that vision, when people say, well, we were interested, for example, in journeying into space. That was a tremendous enthusiasm 30 years ago. It was important. But then we decided that many other things were more important. Yet the vision is less. 
the vision uh, disperses, it scatters like dust. Whereas the big dreams, the, the big ambitions that involve consciousness expansion and living life on a different level, these things never go away. And if people don't begin to act on them and actually live their lives according to them, there's going to be no vision. In other words, it's going to be by default that the Illuminati win because as perverse as their vision is, they do have a plan. They do have a strategy. And to surpass that, people have to realize individually that within themselves they have big dreams, only their dreams are positive. They're wide-scope dreams. They're tremendously energetic and somehow people have to find a way to tap into that within themselves. How does that strike you? Sean, you there? Okay, we may have lost the connection there. We'll see. Okay. In the meantime here, while we're getting Sean back on the line, we seem to have lost the connection. We're going to go to a break. We'll be back. We'll see if we can get Sean back on in our remaining minutes. This is John Rappaport sitting in for James Corbett on the Corbett Report. John Rappaport back. A few moments left here with Sean Stone. We've just really gotten rolling here. An hour has gone by very quickly. Sean, uh, when we got cut off, I was saying that uh, it seems that individual vision is so important in the sense of something big, positive, energetic, of wide scope, and that people have to find that within themselves if they don't. But then everybody becomes a lemming, everybody becomes a slave, a machine, and so on. That this inner search for something much greater is one of the great keys to creating something of a positive future that is, is large, is planetary, is more than just planetary, and that this is vital for all of us. Your thoughts on that? My thoughts on it? Yeah. Well, you summed it up. Uh, you know, personally, I think we're already interplanetary beings. You know, I think that we've been visited historically by by, by entities across dimensions and, and time. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's right now we're at like a, a period of breaking down the, the conventionalities about this. You know, because people have obviously been investigating and talking about UFO coming on and talking about, uh, you know, in the, in the Muslim world, like I'm saying, we talk about jinns, and jinns are created by God. They're beings that are made of plasma, essentially. And, you know, it, it, it's completely normal to have experiences because you, you're, you're able to see it because, it because it's culturally normal for you. You're able to see it, and it's not, a, it doesn't, it's not conducive of, of sending you to a psychiatric hospital. Whereas in our culture, we've so divorced ourselves from that realm, from, from the earth, from nature. And you know, burned everyone who who ever talked about you know witchery and whatnot, which witches and and and, and things like this, who, who dealt with natural phenomenon and alchemists who studied these things. We 
persecuted, at least the Catholic Church did, right? So I think we've divorced ourselves from nature, and then now it's the time to rectify that we are masters of nature. God put us here to, to, to uh, terraform, you know, to alter nature towards our ends and towards the betterment of, of mankind, um, but not to see it as some kind of, how do you say it, not to see it as some kind of war that must be fought between, you know, men and men over resources. That's insanity. You know, there's no scarcity of resources. Everything is transformative. Energy is, energy is what reigns. I mean, Einstein proved it once, once he understood that, that, uh, uh, you know, energy is, 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 is matter. They're interchangeable, right? Then what, what keep, what grounds us in this materialistic thinking? Personally, I think this is the end of it. I think we're at the end of this age of materialism, which is Satanism, which is an attachment to, uh, illusion. And the more we're able to then see the, the beauty of the beauty of, of the, that's given to us by God, that we have, you know, infinite resources across across space and time. The question of how everything manifests. If you have first, you need an idea in your mind. You need to the energy to work it, and then you need to build it and create. That's the impetus of man on Earth, not to make fictitious money off of debt and off derivatives and things that don't have any progressive value towards mankind. You know that mentality has to come to an end. And I think we're at the dawn of a new age in that regard, and all the mystics, the Illuminati, are all aware of it. But to me, it's a question of demanding it. If human beings do not demand it, as Frederick Douglass, as Frederick Douglass who said this. You still there, Sean? I think we got cut off again. Well, that's quite a good note to end on. We're just about out of time here through a few technical difficulties we've been speaking with Sean Stone I certainly appreciate his voice as one of the most important around these days and as I said we just got rolling here an hour went by like nothing I hope you'll listen to the show maybe again <clears throat> a couple of times because there's important information here and I appreciate being able to sit in for James while he's away here this is John Rappaport you can find my work on nomorefakenews.com Thanks very much to RBN, and hopefully we will see you again up the road.